Oh God, we are here this morning gathered together as a group of believers who are journeying to have an encounter with you. So Lord, please speak to our hearts this morning. May the words not be mine, but yours. May all distractions, anything that we are giving our attention to, may they subside and may only hear Jesus this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 2007, the world as we know it changed forever, altering the course of history. For you see, that was the year when Steve Jobs released his first ever iPhone. It was also a few months later where Facebook opened up to anybody who had an email address. Uh, The year a micro-blogging app called Twitter became its own platform. And also uh, year one of the cloud. And also uh, the Intel chip switched from silicon to metal chips. And the list of other technological breakthroughs that we can list this morning, marking the start of the digital age. It has been said, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. The the world has radically changed in a few short years. In recent memory, none of us had a smartphone or Wi-Fi. And now we can't even imagine living without something that didn't even exist before. And currently we are talking about AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, MLs, virtual and augmented reality, VR and AR, and chat GPT. Many believe That human nature is mostly good and therefore technology will simply help us move along towards our dream utopia where we all get along into an advanced world. Technology can't be bad per se. As long as we use it for good, it is good. Others may say the internet alone has changed the world and it's not just for the better Depending on who you talk to, it's decreasing our IQs, or at least our capacity, to pay attention. Whether the debate is around technology, or something more ancient like food, or literature, or relationship, we do things because we trust that it will do something to us. If you're hungry, you reach for food. If you're curious, you reach for something, you reach for an article or a book or a TV remote control. If you're anxious about something, you might doom scroll through your phone. If you're happy, you may reach for YouTube or Spotify and cue music. When facing hard times, what do you do? When facing hard times, what do you do? 
You and I aren't doing them because they have zero impact, but because they will impact us. Today, we are continuing our vision series in Rhythm and Practice, a short series about the need to realign our hearts in the presence of Jesus. And in this case, if you miss it, here is just a, a small recap about what we talked last time when we were together. Through studying scripture, we have learned that you and I are not primarily rational beings. To be a person to, is, to be, is not to be a thinker, but rather to be a lover first. You are a person with a heart that loves, that longs, and has desires. So in order for us to flourish in a world, we do not only need the right thoughts, but we need healthy rhythms and practices that we can imitate the patterns and the habits of Jesus. Rhythms and practices, they shape us and that are rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit. And they shape us over time and change us in order to reorder our desires. And today we turn to the counsel of Paul to help us in our journey in doing that, which brings us into wholeness in times of adversity. Let's turn to the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, this is a letter for those who are anxious, for those who are nervous, for those who are bracing themselves for what's ahead. In the letter for those who are discouraged or have a sense of weakness of spirits. Paul did not write this letter after he had preached a powerful sermon. He did not write this letter when many people came to faith. He did not write this letter being congratulated by his colleagues in ministry, by applause and praise. No. Paul wrote this letter while he was bound in chains because he was preaching the gospel. He was imprisoned, probably in the city of Rome. The fearless preacher the fearless leader of the Philippians is locked up. His condition makes the people in the, in the city of Philippi anxious and nervous because they don't know what's going to come. They don't know what's going to happen. Paul, however, takes the opportunity to share with them that his imprisonment is not a failure for the gospel, but a victory for the advancement of the progress of the message. Now Paul, through himself, he is imprisoned. He sees this as an opportunity to present the gospel to the heart of the Roman Empire, to Rome itself. And as you can possibly imagine, This reminds me of a story recently when I went to the hospital and there was a person who was laying there in bed. And, of course, the whole family was heartbroken. And as soon as the daughter saw me, she embraced me and She was, thank you so much for coming. And there was tears coming through her cheeks as she was crying. 
And as she was seeing that this person that was in bed was slowly slipping into death. But the odd thing is that at that moment, as this person was coming in and out of consciousness, this person was comforting her family. Her resolve was unshaking. She was at peace and unafraid, contrary to our expectations. You would think that the person who is suffering would be the one hurting, but the person who was suffering was comforting and encouraging the other. Similarly, Paul, he is in prison, but he takes the time to comfort the believers in Philippi. And while in prison, Paul not only wants to give a short report of the advancing of the gospel, but he also wants to give one final exhortation, a final word of hope for those challenges that may come our way. As if to say, you will face many battles too. You will face friction. You will face opposition. You will face yourself All of this calamity. I am facing it right now. But your time will come. Do you want to know how you flourish? You want to know how do you live in rhythm with Jesus? You will face wars of the minds and struggles of the heart. Here is how you stand firm. Here is how you stand firm. And he concludes his letter to the group of believers in Philippi. And his words still resonate and extend to us here today. In verse 8, chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, as we, as we seek to extract this ancient wisdom for our modern world, let's dig a little bit deeper into Paul's language of thinking, practice, and peace. We say, with the promise, the premise here before us is that Paul says, think about these things, whatever is true, whatever is novel, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. The word to think is translated as meditate or credit or consider. Paul sees that in order for us to flourish and have a flourishing of heart and to live well, we must choose to think about the right things. In New Testament, uh, N.T. Wright scholar comments, Christian virtue, love, joy, peace, and all 
All of this stuff is both a gift of God in the result of the person of faith making conscious decisions to cultivate the way of life and these habits of the heart and mind. Translation, flourishing as a follower of Jesus is not only God's gift, it's not a result of your participation in cultivating those gifts. It is very easy for us to fall into the Christian myth that once I have given my life to Jesus, once I have accepted Jesus Christ in my heart, all the fruit of the Spirit will fall into the lap of my character and nothing on my part is to be done. Why, I ask then, why am I hurried and less patient? Why do I move towards anger and not self-control? The, the, why do I move towards anxiety and not peace? The analogy of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 implies fruit-bearing is accompanied by gardening. If you want to see the fruit of flourishing and wholeness in your heart, family, marriage, and Also, in emotional health, you must become a gardener of your own mind. And I know that many ladies here like to garden, so they they appreciate the illustration. But you have to garden. You have to garden the avenue of your heart. Paul's invitation to, to the Philippians echoes through the ages to us to give us our attention to the right things, to fix our thoughts and thinking in the right places. The Christian psychologist Kurt Thompson says that our brains are the seed of our minds, are always emerging, meaning they're always becoming. Through our choice of thoughts, We have the capacity to become and to create. As our thoughts fire in our minds, the capacity to create, the mind has the capacity to think of better worlds, of colorful art, of beautiful sounds, but the mind also has the process equally and the capacity to destroy. The mind has the ability to create enough machinery to make the world a stink like that of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. What makes or breaks whether we create goodness or madness, whether we live well or we corrode internally, is deciding what we give our attention to. Put it another way, what we put or what we pay our attention to will govern you, What we pay attention to will control you. What we pay attention to will determine where you are headed. Because we become what we pay attention to. In other words, Mary Oliver, poet Mary Oliver says, attention is the beginning of devotion. This is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians verse 3, 2 Corinthians verse 3, verse 18, that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. 
You and I are being transformed by what we constantly look. That's why it says, by beholding, we become changed. Let me ask you this morning, what have you been giving your attention to? In the past years, the rise of popular tech, Social media companies has influenced us in how we think and how we use our time. What companies like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok are selling are not products. They are selling our attention. Along with the peace of mind, we are the product. These companies are brilliant in reaching their goals of grabbing the attention and keeping your attention online one click, one scroll at a time. That's their goals. That's not our goals. Companies like these have said that their biggest competitor is not Hulu, it's not Amazon Prime, it's not Netflix, Disney Plus. It's sleep. Think about that. Let that sink in for a little bit. Nicholas Carr said, the author and expert of Digital Age said, comments that Google is in the business of distraction. This message is not intended to condemn uh, any company or our society as a whole. We as a church are in favor of society and seek wellness. What I want to speak to you honestly from my heart to you. What I want to speak to you is the reality and how this is important because this is what we are living here today and now. And this is important for us because we need to understand the world we call home. We cannot be ignorant of the things that are happening around us. And someone once said that what we think about lead to habits will lead to actions, and the habits will lead to habits, and our habits will lead to destiny, right? And so the true joy of the gospel, the true joy of Jesus, when we have purpose, when we have meaning, when we know where we are going, that only happens when we have purpose and meaning. But if we don't have that purpose and that meaning, then we... Uh, distract ourselves with pleasures. So Paul's invitation is to think about what is true, what is noble, what is just, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is praiseworthy. Paul tells us to think because he knows that our natural appetites are for distraction. I'll be the first one to admit I'm easily distracted. So in in order for us to have a heart that flourishes, that is resilient in the face of adversity, that moves towards wellness, we must partner with God to give our attention and thinking to the right things. Paul says in verse 9, that when we put these things into practice, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, when you put it into practice, I love this language. Because practice entails that it is a continual thing that you're doing. It's a repetition. It's something that you are continually doing. So Paul is saying, just as you have seen me do, repeatedly do and observe in me, you also 
do. Repetition is the mother of learning. We are not only to think and give attention to the right things, but we are to give and think our, our attention to the right things repeatedly over and over again. We must train our minds. Again, we become what we constantly and continually give our attention to. Whatever you give your attention to first thing in the morning and the last thing whenever you go to sleep at night will shape you into the type of a person. So I ask, what kind of person you want to become? Do you want to be a person that wakes up in the morning and the first thing, your first instinct is to pray? Your first instinct is to harness in your mind the ability to go and just pray and ask God to be with you. Do you want to be the person that before you go to bed, instead of deconstructing your mind, watching all these TV shows, the, the last thing when I, my head hits that pillow is things that are from God. And I'm not wanting this to sound legalistic in any way. Let me clarify. Keeping up with world events or watching the news, it's not a bad thing. Having social media is not a bad thing. I have Instagram. I have social media. Watching TV is not wrong, but maybe that's not the best approach to it. Maybe it's not about what is good, what is bad, But who am I becoming when I do this thing? Who am I becoming when I give my attention to this thing? Who am I becoming when I end up my day with hours in the news, in the background? Just CNN or whatever news channel that you like, Fox News, just constantly blowing, constantly in the airways. How much of it is out of my control. Who am I becoming when I'm anxious and I use Instagram as a mental escape or Facebook, whatever social media you have? Who am I becoming when I sleep with my phone at my bedside knowing the temptation it brings me? Who am I becoming when I go through five seasons of a show in a weekend? Netflix won't even let you think about it. After, as soon as the episode is over, it brings you to the next episode right away. It's less about the rights and the wrongs and more about the trajectory and the rhythms and the practices of my life. Friends, this world is a temporal world. What is the trajectory of my life? Am I heading towards eternity, the kingdom of God? His, am I seeking His righteousness? His will to be done in my life. Under Jesus' vision and Paul's teaching, followers of Jesus are called to choose practices that move us towards the renewal of the mind, intimacy with God, and outward love towards others. We become what we give our attention to. So this morning, make giving your attention to the right things a habit, a rhythm, a practice. And it will change you over time who you will become. Finally, 
Paul says that when we think about these things and we put these things into practice, the God of peace will be with you. There's so much noise. There's so much distraction out there in the world. And in C.S. Lewis' group tape letters, a popular satire novel, he writes it in the context or in the perspective of a demon who is counseling his apprentice demon on how to constantly wreak habit on humans and draw them away from God. And in this context, he's telling the senior demon is telling his apprentice to never let humans rest, garden, or slow down. Just keep them busy. Keep them distracted. Do not let them bring peace. The world, God has always had in mind the trajectory of the kingdom and his own nature has always been one of peace, one of shalom, one of order, one of wholeness. He reigns from his kingdom, from a kingdom of peace. And I don't know about you this morning, I don't know the trajectory of your life. I don't know what led you to these doors this morning. There's battles. There's there's struggles. There's realities. But I do know that I want the God of peace in my life. And I want to move in that way in my life, in every aspect, in every area of my life, in my finances, in my marriage, in my friendships, in my church, in my city. And I want to remind you, Paul is writing this from prison. It's very easy to write these things and to say these things when all is well, when things are going well. But he's in prison. Instead of thinking about himself, he thinks of others. He's in the heart of the empire. And later on in 2 Timothy, we have Paul's last words as he is again in prison, about to be executed. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Even in a world that is full of uncertainty, where health is at risk, where jobs are not always stable, where we have been lied to, the mirage, the security is final. Even in the uncertainty of our future, be it Paul or in our lives here today, in our homes, in our workplace, in the mountaintops of prosperity or in the mountaintops of bonuses or in the valleys of scarcity, in the paradises of Privilege or in the crucible of criticism, in the seasons of security, or in the worries of war, you and I can have the God of peace. A good friend once said to me, If you want the peace of Jesus, you must adopt the practices of Jesus. 
these are some practices in our lives that are, if there's some practices in our lives that are incompatible, that are sabotaging our peace with God. I don't know if that is true for you. Only you know that. I don't know what practices and habits are standing in the way between you and your experience with God. But to conclude, I want to invite you this morning to do an introspection, an audit of your habits, and to see where those are leading you to. What emotions, what worries, what fears do you cook up in your mind and in your habits? What's the rhythm? What's the practice that you are living? Are you just going through the motions? Are you truly wanting that closeness, that intimacy with God? What are the results that you are getting in your life and in your heart? Because let me tell you, this is not a game. We can live without our limbs, but we cannot When it comes to the mind and to the heart, everything is on the line. When the rubber meets the road, it's a matter of life. Are you cultivating rhythms, habits, practices of the heart that are increasing your attention and affection to God? And as you think about this, as you think what is true, what's noble, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, friends, I want to invite you to experience the beauty in which God of peace is the king of your hearts. Because I want that too. And I hope you want that too as well. So this moment we are actually going to be heading into the second part of our service, which is the communion part, and it is the ordinance of humility. And I just want to say, if Jesus is stirring in your heart a desire, I don't know what that is, but if God is moving in your heart this morning, do not resist His invitation Jesus is calling today, now is the time of salvation. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to participate, you can participate. You don't have to be a seven-day Adventist member in order to participate. We believe in an open communion. And so that simply means that you don't need to be a member. You are open and available to participate and to be part of this service. And so, David, you will give us some indications into how we will be uh, adjourning as we finish this part. Yeah, in the bulletin it says that the men will be in the fellowship hall, the women will be in the youth room, which is uh, <clears throat> Peggy's class at the very back. But then a, a new thing we're doing today is couples... We'll have a couple's room that's going to be in K-Jean's class, the um, junior's class. We're set up for six or seven couples there, but if we need more, we can add more chairs. Okay, and then the men would be at the fellowship hall, and the ladies will be in the, in the youth class room.
And so, let's pray as we conclude. Father, this morning we come to you. We come honestly to you, Lord, because we have nowhere else to go. And so, Lord, I pray that you will continue to move in our hearts, that we can focus our attention, our desires, our loves, our longings to you. If there's things that are standing in our way between us and having a meaningful, intimate relationship with you, Lord, may you bring those things uh, to our mind. May we recall all these things. May we be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit to hear your word. And so, Lord, as we go from this place, we ask for your presence to continue to be with us. We praise and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are delighted to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. This is a celebration. And just recalling all that he has done for us. And as we participate uh, through, the, through this special occasion, I want us to remind us of the words in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So at this moment, we up here up front, we will pray for the bread and we will kneel, and y'all can remain seated. Father, we here are in awe of the incredible and amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. To take the sins of the world, to take our place through the experience of the second death, that we might, through him, have eternal life. And as you said that this bread represented his broken body, broken for us, with suffering beyond what we could imagine, and sorrow and separation. But Lord, we're thankful that you did not give up on your human family, that for the joy that was set before you, by faith hearing the shouts of the redeemed in heaven, you went to the cross and resurrected again on Sunday morning. And Lord, we thank you for this call to remembrance. And may we never forget what you have done for us so that we may be a blessing to encourage others also to remember your great sacrifice, which is a promise in living blood that you have forgiven our sins
As the Bible says, if we confess them, you're faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you, Lord, for this time of remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
After supper, he took the cup, saying, This is This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. What a joyous celebration. What a joyous day. A triumphant victory. Sin has been defeated. And Jesus has proclaimed through the cross the promise that He will soon come for us and take us home. That is the hope that we live. And that's the reason that we live And we do the things that we do because we believe that Jesus is coming soon for us. And so in the midst of suffering, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of disappointment, let us live lives that honor God and live humble lives in the direction where God is pointing us to. So I will ask you this morning as we stand for our final song, which is 350, may we sing it with boltering joy, believing what we are singing, the words of the song. Let us sing hymn 350. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we have just sung this song, We hope that we meet again. Lord, thank you so much for your sacrifice in the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness, that we can come boldly before before the throne of God. Thank you, Lord, that all the barriers, all the things that are keeping us away from you, have been removed, and now we can speak and live from a stance or a posture of freedom and liberation. And so, Lord, as we go this way, may your presence be with us. May you guide us. May you sustain us. This is our desire and our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.